Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. It took us a while to get here, but welcome back to the 90th percentile. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. Alongside me, as always, is my partner in crime, my co-host, Matt Pajak of Loden Sports. Matt, what's going on? How are you, man? We got a big guest today, somebody that we found from uh, a Twitter thread as well. We seem to find some of our most interesting guests on uh, the old X machine, but uh, it is uh, Robin Dominguez, data analyst for Tread Athletics. He had a great thread on pitch uh, data, pitch grades, and, you know, um, providing some more context, I'll say. So we got him in the hot sheet, and I'll welcome him to the show. How's it going, man? It's going well. Appreciate you guys. Yeah. Was that for me or was that for him? Because at one point he asked me how I was was doing, and then that was for him. Blew right through it. Yeah, that was for him. (laughs) You know, you have certain episodes, like the Donovan episode. You were like ninety percent, man. I gotta, I gotta catch up here. You know, yeah, dude, I gotta, yeah, I, gotta okay. do, I gotta pull my weight in, in terms of the conversation. So Ryland, don't uh, me, Ryland, how you, Ryland, how are you doing today? No, I, I appreciate you asking. No, definitely glad. Uh, doing well. Appreciate you guys having me on here, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm really excited to have a guest on from one of the trendiest cities in America. I mean, it's right up there with Nashville, Charlotte, oh, Nashville. For sure. Sister cities. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and Jeff has checked out. All right. Let's see. What are we going to I have not. About? I have not at all. <laughs> let's talk about, uh, before we talk about sandwiches, which is, there's my dog. Um, <laughs> before we talk about sandwiches, because sandwiches are kind of like our little staple here. Um, I want to ask you, you, being in a trendy city such as Charlotte, have you yep. had Velvet Taco? Uh, I have not. I've seen Velvet Taco. I have never had Velvet Taco. Have you had Velvet, Velvet Taco? I've had Velvet Taco. Velvet Taco is in all the trendy cities. Um, I recommend it. It's kind of like a torchy situation. It's like a fancy boy taco. But I was just curious, yeah. being that you're in Charlotte, if you had had. Yeah, it. no, I've I've definitely seen it around, but I'll have to have to check it out. 
So the thing is, is that they're, they've got all these different fancy tacos on the menu. Some of them are all right. Some of them are average. Some of them you probably stay away from. But there's this one taco, and I think it's like a Korean fried rice taco. I think I got that right. Just go that there and get great. like just go there and get like three or four of those. That sounds great. There's there's a couple of those uh, similar trendy taco places around here, and some some of the tacos are a little out there, and I, I try to stay away from those. They're they're not typically the best. Yeah. I uh I lived in Raleigh, Raleigh Durham area, which is nice. a little bit less trendy. So we had actual Mexican food. Uh, there you was go. Great. Yeah. Is that so, when you were back with uh, USA Baseball? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, when I'd roll through Charlotte, I'd make sure I get my trendy taco. But anyway, besides the point, let's <laughs> talk about sandwiches. All right, this is our let's this is it. our key feature right here. All right, and, and we're it. not going to bias on. you on on anything, but we need you to. I have my 20, 2080 grade the following right. four sandwich chains. All right. We got uh Jersey Peters. It's actually Jersey Michaels. Some people know it as Jersey Mike's, but the founder's name is Peters. So we started calling it Jersey Peters. Um, like that. Jimmy John's, James, James Jonathan. Yep. Subway. S dub. S dub. And uh Capriati's. Gappies. All right, let's do it. So yeah, I'll have to I'll have to have a disclaimer here. I've never been to Capriato's or Capriato's. No one has. Is that? Never been there. No, never heard of it. Say it, right. it doesn't even exist. It's it I, was made yeah. Up head. Yeah. Where Where are those? Are those in a certain region or? They, they used to be all over the place, and then they slowly closed because nobody was eating the hot bobbies. No, you no, go. you're wrong, Jeff. They're expanding. <laughs> they're based out of delaware just because the one just because the one in foxborough closed everything's closing in foxborough the patriots have two wins uh Oof. all right it's true I yeah think I'm ready based out of delaware but i get it here in denver so like all over the country. yeah but but denver doesn't have the same sandwich competition that the northeast has we've talked about this before sandwich culture sandwich culture we haven't talked yep. about chiba hut which is or or snarfs those are like the two huge regional chains here and we're not going to talk about that we're gonna we're gonna let rylan weigh in here on... <laughs> all right let's do it yeah. so i'll i'll get it i'll get it going with with subway here uh this is a pretty easy mm, 30 grade for me subway just just isn't it it's uh they they claim they have this motto of them being you know eat fresh i don't think i've ever walked into a subway where the food was was very fresh uh not that it's, you know, the, the worst option in the world. It's probably worst places out there. Uh, and then we'll, we'll go right to straight to Jersey Mike's. I, I, I have to go 70 grade here. Love myself some, some Jersey Mike's. Uh, back when I was in high school, they, they, they started putting Jersey Mike's into my hometown. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of go straight for number six Mike's way, really stack the roast beef on there. Uh, so enjoy that. Uh, Jimmy John's, uh, being that I spent four years, uh, with a college baseball team. I had Jimmy John's for way too many weekends of my life. Uh, don't love the bread, um, but it's okay. It gets the job done. Maybe there's some nostalgia there. So we'll go, we'll go 55 for, for Jimmy John's that, that might, that might just be being pulled because of some nostalgia because it doesn't taste that great, but there we go. Matt, he balanced the scale here. I want to say he used the whole scale, which I like. Um, he hasn't had Capriotti's, which 
frankly, we can't count against them. Um, I thought the description of Subway at the 30, the first thing that he called out about Jimmy John's was the bread. And then he wasn't scared to throw the seven on Jersey no, Mike's. I, 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 I appreciate that. Mike's than you are. I can see in the right situation, right part of the country, how Jersey Mike's could be viewed as a seven. And, and, I, and that's not to say he's not. be a sandwich scouting director. I, I like his <laughs> opinions here. He called out the bread in Jimmy John's. The first thing I think we ever said that we didn't like at Jimmy John's was the bread. No. It's, it's I mean, not- look, I, I appreciated the 70. I appreciated the conviction. Jersey Mike's is not a 70. But I appreciate your conviction in dropping a 70 on Jersey Mike's. All right. You had them <laughs> in the right order. You just just the grades maybe weren't there. Yeah. Subways yeah. for sure at the bottom. Yeah. I think in, it's in, true. 30 was perfect. Yeah. 30 was perfect. Uh, I also I also think that if you are if you're dealing with an Italian from a a, a a national chain, I think if you're putting it on that scale, that's the 2080 scale. I think you can maybe put a seven on a cold Jersey Mike sub. It's a good Italian. It's made the right way. They make it the way an Italian sub shop in the Northeast would make it. They cut it fresh. I'm just saying there Listen, are some Ryland, I, you put it onto that sort of like, you know, chain sandwich place scale. It's it's pretty strong, Matt. Ryland, uh, like he, he definitely did his thing here on this, on this sandwich grade out because he said all the right things, including Mike's way. And 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 let me let me interject here real quick. So I would I would say growing up, Wawa for myself was for sure kind of number one up there for for hoagies and sandwiches for me. And and then uh, Jersey Mike's came came along the way. So uh, you know it, I I had to throw it at seventy grade if it got above Wawa. I, I would take the hot Wawa subs over like the steak and cheese over the steak and cheese from Jersey Mike's. I can I'm a huge, I'll take that. I don't know if Matt is as much as I am. I love Wawa. Like when I'm in Florida, I pretty much eat subs because it's cheap and I'm there for like two weeks a year. And yep. I pretty much eat Wawa and then Publix if it's during the day and I feel like being a little more classy. Love that. Love that. Yeah. I, I also want to throw this out here because I think this is something that just popped in my head because everyone gives Subway a 20 or a 30 or it's it's the bottom. It's always the bottom. Okay. And Subway isn't Subway isn't good. I hope Subway's listening. All right, you need you need to fix yourself. But they have, when it comes to endorsers, like an all time stable. It's like Patrick Mahomes, uh, Steph Curry. Is, I don't know Derek, how do it. Was Derek Jeter on there too? <laughs> I don't know. Ryan I Howard. Like, I remember Ryan Howard pitching the DMT. Oh yeah. They also have like Tom Brady, but they also have like the Aaron Hernandez. They also have like the Aaron Hernandez of spokespeople as well. Like they have literally the worst spokesperson you could ever have in the staple. That, that's definitely that out there, Matt. We have to put that out there. Where would Jersey documentaries on how bad this guy was? Where would Jersey Mike's be if they had the roster of current endorsers that Subway has? Why doesn't why doesn't Mike Trout? Why is he not their spokesperson? <laughs> he is literally a Michael from that area of New Jersey. Seems like a shoe. Make this it happen. Weird. I I just looked this up. The so they've they've had Charles Barkley, Tony Romo, 
Simone Biles, Steph Curry, Rob Gronkowski, Derek Jeter, Marshawn Lynch recently. Oh, true. All all part of the same ad. Like Subway is shelling out. Capriati. Well, maybe because they're worried. Capriati's. We can go head to head. It'll be me, Jeff, and Ryland after he learns how to say your name right. <laughs> <laughs> Who, me? I said his name wrong too. This no, R- Ryland. No, Capriati. no, no. I said. Oh, I said okay. Capriano's. I, I, I'm from Massachusetts, and we had we had Brendan Donovan on last week, so I have to say it that way, so I don't say Brendan Donovan. And and like Matt makes Capri- fun of me for it. So. Capriato's kind of sounds. It's got it's it, it's in the same flavor category as Leonardo DiCaprio. So Capriato's get- probably is in Brooklyn and has a much better sandwich selection than Capriato's. I'm going to be honest. Capriato sounds like some hole in the wall, like the Nantes, like spot in Brooklyn where it's like cops and robbers and like old grandmas all get sandwiches at the same time on a Saturday morning. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, look, I, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm picking up here, Jeff, is that you're out on Capriati's Capriati's. If you're listening, they closed. I'm a huge went, fan still. I was I'm, at I'm still all four Capriati's as the king of sandwiches. Uh, Rylan, big fan of Jersey Michaels. And yep. what would you put? You put Wawa at one probably, right? Probably just, just because of the nostalgia there. You Wawa. get it at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's just as good as it is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Hey, if, you, if, if you want to open up a completely different discussion, we'll save it for a different time. Gas station culture. Wawa, Bucky's, Cumberland Farms. I mean, it's Cumberland Farms is, is yeah. Cumberland Farms is. Tr- I come home and it makes I'm not saying so it's good. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good, but people are like, "Hey, I got to go to Cumbies and get X." Like it's it's part of gas station culture. Anyway, I for want Cumbies for bad coffee and cigarettes. That's what people go to Cumbies. <laughs> I immediately think of a guy who smells like stale merits. I mean, that's most of central Massachusetts, Jeff, and (laughs) Western master. You can't, you can't pull that on me. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Ryan, tell us about your kindergarten teacher. Yes. Tell us about your kindergarten teacher. All right. My kindergarten teacher. That's so her name was Miss King. Uh, She was a great teacher. I can't say I remember too much about her. Uh, Taught me. You know, some counting stuff, some letters, the alphabet, maybe some some sight words. But yeah, Miss King, shout out to her wherever she's at, whatever she's doing. That's all I got. Yeah, we all had a Miss King at, at some point in our educational process. Tenth grade English for me. Jeff, when did you have your Miss King? <laughs> Third grade. It was Third grade. Uh, yeah. It was Mrs. It was Mrs. Schmidt. She really liked me. And I think the first day of school, she liked me so much because I'm old. So my first baseball glove was a Mike Schmidt glove. So I asked her if she was related to Mike Schmidt. And for some reason, that <laughs> made her feel really good. And uh, yeah, I would still see I would still see Mrs. Schmidt in college when I was working at the fish market. She would come in and, I, and order some fish for me, you know, when I was slanging the fish in college. And no, I I was saying like literally we've all had a Miss King. Like I had a Miss King in tenth grade. Well, I didn't have any Miss it King. It just feels like a very like you're gonna come across a Miss King at some point. Yeah. I don't think I had one. I didn't have a Miss well, King. Well, that's a bummer for you. I think me and Ryan are a little <laughs> bit closer in age. 
Um, <laughs> all the, oh, all the kings were dead. All the kings were dead. No, the only reason why I asked that, and I've been on this kick for a couple of weeks now, is that um, I came across this book that I, I re I'm reading currently. Adam Grant. I don't know if you're familiar with the author. If you're not, uh, get so. familiar. Organizational psychology. Um, and there was a little section in there that brought up a, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on it, Jeff, what would you call it? Re it's a research paper. A, a study. A study was done in Tennessee on uh, a bunch of kindergartners. And basically the gist of it is the more experienced your kindergarten teacher is, the more likely that you'll be successful later in life as measured by uh, income. So. That's why I ask about Miss King. Uh, I don't know if you know approximate experience of Miss King from a teaching standpoint, but um, down if, the road, if you've got a kid and you walk into a, a kindergarten classroom and you see like a wide-eyed 24-year-old getting ready to teach your kid in kindergarten, run the other way. Make sure you grab your take kid. Take him out. Yeah, tuck under the arm, run, go find some 50 55 year old who's been doing it for 30 plus years that's the one that's going to set your kid on the right path uh later in life to make a lot of money <laughs> that's what we want i'll make sure yeah. i'll make sure to file that one away yeah yes make sure you i'm just out here slanging advice jeff yesterday i i taught a whole bunch of uh division two softball players that they are shortest at the end of the day because gravity compresses their spine because they're standing up for most of the day and they were all like what <laughs> that's that's crazy so am i six one in the morning and then like six and a half feet at night so you didn't know that either did you jeff i didn't know that at all no i had zero zero idea that that was the case um, yeah i'm 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 well tuned to say this because i said it six times yesterday so over the course of the day gravity compresses your spine so you're probably about three quarters of an inch shorter at the end of the day if you measured yourself then you lay down everything stretches back out and you're at your tallest again when you wake up in the morning Man, I must be always measuring myself at night then. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's such a good excuse. Uh, yeah. There you go. So you have like certain times you have to do like the height measurements if like you're in basketball. Because like by seven o'clock at night, dude, like those guys might be six foot nine and not six foot ten. Right. So like, you know, you it don't really is double edged you sword. Have you, a morning, you don't want to have a morning combine. Do you, you want to do you want to measure tall or do you want to measure light because you're at your lightest in the morning, you know, after a night's sleep. So, you know, you got to figure that out. Yeah, you definitely don't want to have a morning combine at all. You want the the shortest, fattest version of each player for sure. Um, no doubt about that. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right. Anyway, uh, so let's let's get into the real reason why we've asked you all the goofy questions. It literally took 15, 17 minutes, which is insane. But we brought you on here because of uh, this great thread that you put out there. I did you sent it over to me uh, a few hours probably after you put it out. But I read the first tweet here. It is pitch grade models such as W Stuff Plus, Stuff Plus, whatever, 
on the player dev side are only as uh, important until they're not. What do I mean by that? The more you grasp expert level understanding of ball flight metrics and what makes a good pitch arsenal, the less you need to look at pitch grades. You started to give some examples here, um, but I guess my first question is sort of what inspired this? And then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, no, appreciate you asking that. Uh, yeah, so what inspired this? So this thread has kind of been, uh, this idea has been kind of cooking uh, in the brain for a little while there. So uh, in the data office, which is behind me, uh, there's myself and another data analyst, uh, Kieran Liming. So uh, him and I spend a lot of time with each other back to back, you know, eight hours a day while we're coding or out on the floor working with, with athletes, you know, which leads to a lot of conversation. Uh, and uh, one of which being, you know, as we continue to work on our stuff models and, and, and pitch grade models and, and grades there, uh, as well as working with with the coaches and players, we're realizing uh, that a lot of uh, a lot of players can can kind of be what we consider stuff blind. Uh, and that is uh, they have almost they know a little too much to be dangerous where that they understand pitch grade models. and uh, You know, what is a good score versus what is a bad score? And then they think that this uh, model is the entire truth and they place so much trust and value in it as opposed to kind of knowing some of the inner workings of it or what actually does make a good pitch. Um, and yeah, kind of wanted to uh, kind of break that down, that idea down a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, I thought um, the second tweet <laughs> in this thread was great as well. Um, it says, for example, if you know a pitch has metrics that historically play well or the pitch historically has played well for a guy in relation to his arsenal, then what good is the pitch grade? And you sort of go over that concept of someone obsessing about a pitch grade. Something's a, a 135 versus a 115 and really like in the big scheme of things, what's the difference? I thought the yep. most interesting thing, and I'll say the thing that I struggle with the most, I look at a lot of data. I'm not a data analyst. I'm just somebody that likes pitch information. Has been He's behind. a data analyst. It's fun. <laughs> the, scouts, the scouts think I'm a data analyst. The data analysts think I'm a scout. So I'm, I'm nothing. <laughs> I'm this amorphous thing that sits in the middle. But like, um, you know, I think the thing that I probably struggle with the most, I've never trained a pitcher. I can apply how something looks and how something plays to the data yep. coming off of the machine and then look at something yep. and understand like what that kind of looks like. My biggest issue is I've never trained anybody. So I don't necessarily yep. understand traits and characteristics that interact well with each other at like an expert level. I can think there's certain things that play off of each other, you know, uh, released characteristics, VAA on a, on a, on a fastball, a forcing fastball versus a changeup having more than like a two degree separation is good. Like there's certain things that I can see that typically work, but I've never yep. trained. Anybody. So that's like where my disconnect is as somebody that writes about it. So that being said, I think the thing that I'm probably most interested in is what are some of the traits that you start to look at? Like as a data analyst that then you can yep. communicate to some of the trainers that will actually put something in motion. Like that's the stuff to me. Yeah. That's most about what you guys. Do. Yeah. No, that's that's a great question. So uh, there's a couple things that we look at. I think uh, you know when we are you know a coach brings us this this new athlete, this new pitcher that we've been training. A lot of times we'll kind of uh, meet with that coach first and uh, do uh, a, like a breakdown, just see uh, what their arsenal currently looks like, how it plays, how they use that arsenal, uh, how they you know, kind of mix their pitches. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, I think we, 
right now it's just like we look at a movement plot and as well as their their release characteristics so release uh height and side and see how those kind of play just because uh ultimately we know things like uh approach angles which is something we've uh, done a lot of research in recently so whether that's vertical approach angle or horizontal approach angle you can't just look at uh, movement plots because if you don't take in consideration uh, pitch location in general or uh, most importantly uh, release height inside uh, and that things can kind of get lost so to kind of boil that down we uh, see like what could potentially be missing in this arsenal so um, you know if we see a, a big missing spot so uh, an example of that is if we have a guy with a sinker all the way over here and a, and a sweeper all the way over here there feels like there's this kind of missing pitch in the middle of that like a smaller breaking ball that uh can be effectively what's a bridge pitch um more than that again we're kind of uh diving more and more into uh these sort of uh, approach angles so maybe a, a certain pitcher can only uh has these sort of motor preferences that only allow him to throw uh certain kinds of pitches uh in an arsenal and something that we've been looking at is this idea of like, what does it look like to create your own angles? Um, so we understand the relationships with VAA are super uh, important there, but something we've kind of been uh, diving into more with, with pitchers is this idea of like, all right, VAA seems kind of a little, uh, uh, not static, but you can't change as easily, but something we're realizing is like horizontal approach angle. That is something that you can change by moving your foot on the rubber or, uh you know kind of uh changing how you're throw or where you're throwing the pitch um so yeah that's kind of what we look at this kind of like holistic arsenal uh breakdown if i can uh ask a follow-up question here i've been a big proponent of ea for a while i feel like i understand it fairly well and yep. um, the type of pitchers and forcing fastballs i typically like are like lower release height more efficiency flatter vaa and then sort of the opposite, if it's a sinker, I want something that's a little bit, you know, steeper, you know, with actual true sink, like lower, you know, lower verts yep. or like really probably low efficiency, though. That can depend, right, from pitcher to pitcher and the yep. type of figure you are with it. But the horizontal approach angle stuff is something I haven't dug into a lot. Yeah. I know it was a concept that I think first, like at least in the public space among us dummies, um, it started to gain some steam. It might've been Eno that wrote about it, but it was Andrew Haney's slider with the Dodgers. I can remember like, cause it's, it sweeps, but if you look at the actual movement profile, it doesn't really move that much, you know, yep. in terms of horizontal vert, that sort of thing. How are you, how did you guys sort of figure that out? And like, what sort yeah. of, what sort of elements you said, like moving on the mounds, Arm height, yep. what sort of things are impacting that number and yeah what does that create yeah that's a great question so uh the relationship with horizontal approach angle i think that's why people uh kind of haven't been diving into this as much is because uh the relationship with vertical approach angle is uh way way more straightforward like if you get something really flat or shallow versus super steep that's good you just kind of stay away from the middle uh as um as we've kind of uh as we've been diving into horizontal approach angle again uh the other data is kieran has kind of been on the forefront uh within our office of two people on this but the relationship with horizontal approach angle isn't uh as kind of straightforward as it can be with uh vertical approach angle but um kind of like i i'm glad you brought up the idea with andrew haney because uh one of the athletes that we train uh one of our coaches 
Uh, Leif Strami trains uh, Damon Jones, who uh, is with the Philadelphia Phillies. He's has you know a few few uh, a little bit of time in, in the big leagues, but uh, he's a guy where we've looked at horizontal approach angle wise, um, where he has a sweeper. Uh, I can't remember the exact movement profile. Let's say has you know twelve inches of, of of sweep on it, but because of where he was standing on the rubber, the actual horizontal approach angle made it look a lot smaller because he was kind of counteracting where he was standing on the rubber. So he wasn't, you know, him being left-handed, he was not, uh, you know, on the first base side of the rubber where if you throw that sweeper, it's going to kind of come in really steep this way. He was standing on the third base side where it was kind of the approach angle was a lot, a lot less steep, making the pitch effectively kind of be a smaller pitch. So with that, again, the idea of creating your own angles, maybe you already have a pitch that is effective. Let's kind of leverage that or leverage your arsenal as a whole by, uh, you know, again, kind of the easiest part there, most simple part, as long as you don't mess up too much, is, is kind of moving where your foot is on the rubber um, as a whole. You probably don't want to switch, you know, for your fastball and slider because that'll uh, tip some guys off pretty easily. But uh, That's it's, a tip it's, it's that hitters would see. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I, hear some, I hear some guys bring up, like, like it was funny. We were ta- I wrote an article recently about Ricky Tiedemann Someone had mentioned how much yep. lower his his slider release was from his fastball, and I went and looked at it, and it actually got tighter this year from what it had been historically. And I started asking hitters that had faced him, like, "Do you pick yeah. up the, the two inch difference?" And they're like, "No, no, yeah." <laughs> my, luck, my, my, yeah, I've seen that. We've seen that with guys guys we train, and it's like until the hitter can pick up on it, I'm I'm not particularly worried about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I, I want to jump in here real quick, please. Jeff. And, uh, you brought up very quickly, this concept of a bridge pitch. And I had never heard of that before. And, yeah. uh, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that. Is, is that like something where like a guy has a pitch that moves way this way and he has another pitch that moves way this way. And there's like a pretty significant tell early on for the hitter that it's either going to yep. be this or this. Yeah, very exactly. So. So a lot of times we'll see that with extreme east to west profile guys. That's by far the most. You could also see it with guys with extreme north to south movement profiles. So again, to kind of clear that up, east to west, uh, heavy sinker versus big slider or sweeper, uh, north to south kind of uh, high carry fastball versus like a really big breaking ball. Uh, So that's both in, we would say like both movement and velo. So yes, the, the, the movement tell is huge as well as the velo. So a lot of times what the answer to that is, is kind of like a really small, hard kind of uh, gyro slider or cutter that something that can kind of get hitters off of like, hey, do I see spin early and spit on it? Or do I see fastball and kind of recognize that? Um, and that we've seen guys see a ton of success on being able to induce more swings and misses. Because, for example, if you have uh, a massive breaking ball and a hard fastball and you know that breaking ball is going to bounce, Guys can kind of spit on that early if they see any sort of uh, of, of an, an idea that this is a breaking pitch because they only have one other pitch besides their their fastball, maybe. So let me ask you this: What is how like how much separation on an east-west guy and horizontal break between the two pitches constitutes? Hey, we need to think about a bridge pitch. Yeah, I mean, it's I wouldn't say there's an exact number by any chance. I think for any kind of East to West guy, if you have a sinker, if you have a sweeper, there's a good, that's a good idea. Unless you, I would say, unless say you're a a sinker guy and you just have a generally smaller slider that has, 
you know, less than six inches of, of horizontal movement at that point, uh, a bridge pitch doesn't make a ton of sense. I would say you kind of need a true sweeper, true sinker, or uh, like a true big breaking ball to kind of consider that smaller, harder breaking ball option. Yeah. Whether it's, the, whether it's for the East-West guys or the North-South guys, because um, it seems like this concept of the bridge pitch has become more prevalent um, and I, yep. in the last two years, I think some of that has to do with we're seeing guys throw more sinkers now. We're seeing guys throw more sweepers. We're seeing that sort of mix. I the, think the big years, pitches, yeah. yeah, it was the north south approach was much more prevalent. Um, yep, and I think it's prevalent because you get guys that kind of follow trends that probably don't fit one or the other and like try something and it doesn't necessarily work. We see that a lot, yeah. Of and certainly yeah. there's organizations, and I won't name names, but there's certain organizations that are very one size fits all with like how they develop players that everybody has a sure. and the cutter, you know, and there's Absolutely. other organizations where it's much more individualized, which they probably have. Absolutely. But do you have any use cases of like a North South guy that added a bridge pitch, maybe at the major league level that you guys have worked with or uh, an East West guy that did the same thing that you guys have worked with that's seen some success and, you know, it's sort of the use case for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great question. Um, as, far as north to south guys go uh i don't think i'm at liberty to share the name of who this is but there's a guy that we're that's already really good north to south uh north to south guy and there's been some considerations honestly just for fun to uh see to add a, a sort of really really hard gyro slider in there he's got a, a ride fastball uh, a kind of a decently big downer slider that's thrown really hard and uh he was asked how hard he thinks he can throw a gyro slider and he said maybe up to 95 so uh we will see what 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 happens there and honestly yeah. he's a one inning reliever guy don't know if it's the most necessary thing in the world but he's kind of having fun at this point um as far as uh we again as far as like east to west guys go i mean we see those those kinds of guys every day um it's it's a pretty like common thing there to to be like all right like let's see what it looks like to add um this sort of bridge pitch i can't think of anyone in particular oh i, I actually can uh zach thompson um with the with the cardinals uh yeah he might have already kind of always had this sort of cutter small slider thing in his back pocket uh i'm not too sure um but he's a guy that we've that we've worked with for uh the last at least year if not if not two years so uh left-handed pitcher with the Cardinals has been up to, you know, I think 99 uh, yeah. has thrown really hard, but he's a guy that um, has this fastball that has, he's thrown really hard. And he's also had this breaking ball, this curveball that's uh, can receive swings and misses because it's massive. Uh, and it's like low seventies, maybe mid seventies. And, uh, but guys just don't really swing at it. Uh, and his, his movement plot was this stark difference. You have a fastball here, and you have this breaking ball all the way down here. And I, it was earlier this year where I was looking at his AAA data versus his major league data. And notice in AAA, he had this small gyro slider that he was never throwing in the big leagues. And uh, we were we were able to, you know, talk to his coach, uh, Matt Marsillian, who was, you know, started having some conversations with, with Zach. And at that point, since he added that, uh, or at least started utilizing that, that cutter gyro uh, uh, pitch, uh, he had kind of the best stretch of his career uh, in the last couple months with with the Cardinals, um, and he's been 
and Housen, we're working on some really fun things with with him uh, as well to to continue to improve that. But yeah, he's he's kind of like uh, the north to south guy, where it's like this was so obvious to add, and it, it was huge for him. Yeah, and and I guess um, my follow up question on that a little bit, getting into the weeds a little more here, um, in terms of what that bridge pitch is how much is that dictated by whether the guy is like a pro nation dominant or, or a soup nation dominant? Yeah. Like does I, I would imagine I'm kind of know the answer here, but I'm asking the question yeah. with each of those profiles, what types of pitches would you be sort of suggesting as a bridge pitch? Yeah, that's a great question. So as far as uh, bridge pitches go, we're, we're almost always looking exclusively at small breaking balls. So whether you are, a uh, a pronator or a supinator we're probably looking at the same kind of pitch um that being said the supinator is likely going to be able to throw harder than the than the pronator is um so there there's kind of that pronator arsenal generally though if they can't throw a breaking bigger breaking ball hard enough we'll probably stick just with that smaller harder breaking ball uh, a change up and a fastball uh maybe kind of throw a cutter in there something that we've uh kind of been diving into a little bit uh i don't know if you guys have come across it it's we've kind of been roasted on it on social media by even bringing up this idea of of, of a death pitch uh so it's it, yeah passing yep. mentioned it today yep yep so uh alex ketchler one of our one of our coaches here uh has been obsessed with this idea of this this kind of death pitch for a while now so it's it's just a fun, silly name that we've assigned like a very like kind of specific pitch. It's not like this new invention. There's been guys that have been throwing it for years. And honestly, what we've come across is guys that naturally have thrown it with certain organizations have been told to stop throwing it uh, because it doesn't necessarily uh, fit any sort of conventional uh, kind of pitch type that we have seen. So uh, generally what we see with that uh is they're potentially guys who are pronators or guys who can kind of just stay behind the ball but uh it's effectively a curveball with pretty limited arms or glove side movement even curveballs that can sometimes move glove side or sorry curveballs that can sometimes move arm side so uh that's something that we've been kind of working on with with certain guys and it's and it's been pretty pretty fun is it yeah, that and a want- James curveball Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And oh. it's, 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 it's things that guys have thrown. It's not like this like brand new idea. It's just like, wait a minute, this uh, catcher or Alex catcher noticed like, Hey, this pitch is really good. Some guys throw it. How do they throw it? And can we apply this to more guys? Hmm. This reminds me a lot of uh, um, that slider that a lot of Astros guys were throwing like five, six years ago as they were coming through that system. They were like these, gyro breaking balls that had like some late vert on them and i think if you watch just like from the eye test not even looking at the numbers how the ball moved it's very similar to that like glass now i know is one of the examples that you guys used and i think it's yep. interesting because like we we hear like the dead zone line a lot on on fastballs um and i think like hearing the dead pitch like the death pitch like hearing that initially was like yeah playing off of dead zones and like i know the explanation so is there is there sort of like this this almost like dead zone in terms of like where hitters can get to versus like the way the pitch moves like is that where the name came from what was the genesis of that i i think the genesis uh i i'm sure it is kind of 
kind of iterated over time. Uh, I know I just first heard it from our one of my coworkers here, Alex Ketcher. I'm not sure exactly where he got it from. Effectively, it was just he found the this sort of movement profile for a breaking ball with limited glove side movement, sometimes mm-hmm. arm side movement. It was just like this pitch is really good, and uh, and he just the death pitch death ball name had kind of taken off with with us at least internally for a little bit and then passing got a hold of of that and uh yeah so it's been it's been funny yeah no that was um it's interesting and i think like we'd be silly to think that there's one the the evolution even within like this five-year window where we've known about pitch movement and like this in the public space and it's been broken down and discussed at a a much bigger rate and it's become a bigger part of like what we do at BA in terms of how we evaluate. It'd be silly to think that there aren't certain styles of pitch that aren't in vogue right now that could have a purpose two years down the road. You know, I mean, sinkers three, three, four years ago, everyone wanted to have a ride for scene. And I think now we understand that like there's certain guys that are better with a two scene, certain guys that are better with a four seam and, hitters are yep. going to adjust to that too. Like we've seen swings yeah. out a little bit, you know, in order exactly. to be able to get to the, the, you know, the higher four seam fastballs with ride flatter VAA, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And this is a fun time. Like, mouse game. Yeah, exactly. Like I was high coming into the season on, on Jesus Sanchez with the Marlins because he's mm-hmm. flat in the zone and crushes balls up. It's like, there's certain guys that he's just going to hit. Like he's just sort of built to hit, you know, uh, pitches like that. And it's just kind of funny. Yeah. The cat and mouse game. You had a great Absolutely. example in, in that thread. If I can go back to this as we sort of round this out, talking yeah. a little bit about a pitcher, Dalton Mall, and how that concept of pitch grades sometimes, you know, being good in certain instances, but when we get into the nitty gritty of what we're trying to get a guy to be, it doesn't matter as much. Talk me yeah. through um, the Dalton Mall example a little bit and why you picked him as yeah. an example. Yeah. So, uh, again, so Dalton. Dalton's been in-house training with us for the last several months. Uh, and when he first came in-house, his his coach, uh, Lucas, still uh, approached me and was like, I think I have a fun project for us. Uh, and I was like, all right, like right, let's see what this is. And uh, he he dove into to Dalton. He was like, I think this guy can throw really hard. And he had thrown hard in the past. He was was at Bradley, had, had a few years of, of an injury history there. Uh, and then – uh, sure enough, he started throwing really hard or continued to throw really hard, topped out at 100 a couple weeks ago, got signed by the Rays, which has been awesome. But to kind of get directly to your point, uh, yeah, Lucas had a, a bullpen with Dalton uh, probably about a month or two ago now uh, where Dalton was throwing his typical big uh, sweeping slider at, you know, 80-something miles an hour uh, with significant uh, horizontal break to it, uh, a really good pitch that we had seen with probably around the kind of the zero induced vertical break line. Uh, and then all of a sudden he threw one with uh, a ton of uh, carry on it. And Lucas quickly, as I mean, anyone would be like, ah, like it was just a misread. And uh, Dalton's response to that, uh, and I'm hearing this second hand from Lucas, uh, Dalton's response to that was, oh no, like I can do that whenever I want. And he was like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, like I'll do it again. Does sure enough, does it again. And we're And then Lucas comes in my office uh, we have a whiteboard, draws a movement plot, uh, points out where Dalton slider is. I'm like, yeah, like I know where Dalton slider is. And then he's like, well, he threw this. Is this one better? I was like, yeah, that's way better. So, uh, which uh, to kind of kind of boil that down, like in general, sweepers with a ton of uh, induced vertical break on them tend to to play a lot better than 
uh, those with less induced vertical break, which can kind of be counterintuitive. We all kind of grew up like, all right, more depth, more depth, more depth. Uh, and in reality here, just kind of historically within Major League Baseball, those sliders with significant carry play much better. And we're like, all right, Dalton, we're going to throw that. And uh, had a conversation with Dalton about it. And I was like, dude, like that is like, that is incredibly good. And his response was pretty funny because he was like, well, I guess I'll start throwing it with conviction. So, so they even like know that he wasn't even, wasn't even aware of the fact that this pitch was as good as it was. And that's kind of where we enjoy to kind of step in and, and kind of be a part of guys along their develop the development is like, again, like Lucas didn't teach Dalton how to throw this pitch. Dalton already knew how to throw it. Uh, we were just alongside and that to be like, dude, this is really good. Like have conviction behind it, trust it. And I think we'll see really cool results from it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's really interesting. And I just think having that, that's a beautiful thing. Yes. It's, it's funny the way you brought up the sweepers too. Um, it's something that I think I first noticed and I wanted to pull up the data in front of me to make sure I had the numbers, but I had noticed it 2022. I, I did a couple of weeks out in Ohio to see uh, Lake County and Akron. Cause I wanted to see Gavin Williams and all these yep. uh, Great lakes was in town. Gavin stone was, was in that series. Tanner, Tanner Bybee when he was still in, in high a, so it was a great series. I saw a ton of great arms and a guy who I had seen on the Cape, and, you know, to much to match the chagrin, I, I love Couture. And they always have a uh, a subby that comes out. And I love subbies, okay? So Alaska Abney comes out, and I'm noticing as the numbers are coming off of the trackman. And I hadn't picked this up when I was in the Cape and didn't think about it. He's getting like seven inches of ride and like 14, 15 inches of sweep or whatever it is. Yeah. And like no one can touch it. And it's one of those things you see with subbies. And I started to notice it the summer on the Cape because once again, I'm looking to it and they have so many subbies. A lot of those guys get ride on their sweepers and it's their most effective. Yep. Pitch. Um, yeah. Obviously they have some unique and I'm sure there's some, some weird like horizontal approach angle stuff with subbies in general. But um, yep. I started to notice that. And then I'm starting to see guys like this that aren't sub that have some power that can ride the, the uh, that can ride the slider a little bit more, the sweeper. And it is, yeah. it's a really interesting um, profile because I think we saw when the initial pop happened with sweepers, we saw so many that were like positive one, negative one, negative 13, negative 14, yep. 15, 16, up to 17, 18. And sometimes like those look great in the, the pitching ninja gifts. They look great when I'm behind home plate, you know, and I exactly. see rip off a, a 17, 18 HB, you know, with a, with a negative one, but how that, actually plays against better hitters it's not the same as those 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 sweepers that yes that well that, that's that's a great point i think with the sweeper craze that we've seen good sweepers are still good sweepers but uh what we found is guys have started throwing bad sweepers because those exist they're like oh this pitch is working really well let me try to throw it maybe their motor preferences don't really allow for them to throw it very hard or they just don't have a good feel for it and in reality it's kind of hurting them so like we might see sweepers as a whole get worse, but I think it's because good sweepers are good sweepers and hitters will adjust for sure. But I think we're just seeing a lot more bad sweepers. People get on those trends and they just start to, they just start to do stuff because they want to have one. Yeah. Like, they're fun. They're exciting. But yeah, exactly. Maybe not That's always funny. the best idea. <laughs> yeah. I know a, I know a college pitcher. Uh, he's in a sophomore year right now and his school is fixated on him learning a sweeper. And I don't think that's a, particularly good fit for him uh based on what i've seen because it doesn't really spin and 
And yeah. 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 And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, yep, you're part of one of those college programs that just wants everyone to throw the same pitch. And I, and yep. I, think the, I think the intentions are good a lot of the time. It's just the application and the understanding of what actually is going to work for each individual player. Is yeah. Nice, right. Like people, yeah. get, people have the intention of making a player better, but they get caught up in what's, you know, Exactly. What's exciting or yep. what looks a certain way versus like getting into the details and seeing, you know, plotting it out, seeing how things play against each other. Yeah. I think that's Absolutely. one of the, like the, the great things that a place like tread can do for a pitcher. And unfortunately I think it happens for guys a lot later in their development than it should. Cause you deal with probably more pro guys than, you know, up and coming high school guys and, and college guys. I mean, I know you've got plenty of college clientele, but uh, I guess the point is, is you guys really do a good job of objectively like helping these players become self-aware of like, okay, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do biomechanically and, and from a movement profile. And yep. like, some guys can spin, some guys can't spin. Like what should you be throwing and not just like, what have you always done? Because this is what you were told to do, you know? Ex um, exactly. Exactly. And, and yeah. That's why I've always, I guess, been a big fan of, of what you guys do. Yeah. Um, appreciate that. Help players like actually, understand themselves yeah yeah for sure yeah and we have the ability to do that it's one of the benefits of the modern game uh yep and it's a ton of fun but rylan man uh you've given us 48 minutes 17 of which we're discussing sandwiches and your, your kindergarten <laughs> experience uh the most important thing great man we we really dug into it i think this is very informative and uh i appreciate your time and getting on here even though you got sick from some subway sandwiches earlier in the week yeah, it was a rough away. one, but, but <laughs> we made it back. We're all good now. Yeah. This was another episode of the 90th percentile for Jeff, for Matt, for Ryland. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we appreciate being back next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.